you're going to have dry spells. And then you're going to have that time where it's like, holy smokes. It's like, boom, light switch just turned on and you just killed a bull. I don't know. It seems like most of the times uh, it happens when you least expected it to happen. At least for me, it has. Welcome to The Rich Outdoors, where we break down the tips, tactics, and strategies of hunting's greats. Not only help you become better hunters, but to motivate and inspire you between hunting adventures. For more about us, including additional resources on our guests and links to everything we cover in the interview, check out therichoutdoors.net. What's up, ladies and gents, girls and boys? Welcome to the podcast. It's the Rich Outdoors. Uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast, guys. Uh, can't believe it's been four years of doing the podcast. And, you know, over those four years, I've met some amazing hunters, some truly talented and driven individuals. And today in the podcast, I am going to sit down with what I would consider probably the best of the best of those, uh, those are the folks that I've had on the podcast in the last few years. You know, today's podcast is from a group of guys that I personally look up to and guys that personally push me to be better, to be more driven and all these things. These guys are some of my best friends and yet they all have very different styles and very different approaches, which is what I appreciate and is precisely what makes this round table, this round table discussion so amazing. And you know, that and that the fact that the combined ego at this table is like absolutely zero, you know, none of these guys had to twist their arms to get them to even do this. You know, when I first posed the concept of this, um, every one of them had their reservations because realistically, none of them have ever really met any of the other ones except through me. So, uh, I finally roped all of them into this discussion or into this, uh, into the same room and hit record. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with how it turned out. And I think it really starts to flow. Um, and I think we could have went on a lot longer and, uh, yeah, enjoyed this, uh, epic round table. We're going to do this podcast. Sean said he was going to be drinking, but now it's too early. Drinking energy drinks, I guess. Yeah. I got energy <laughs> drink too. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Um, <clears throat> we're going to, I was trying to think of a name for this podcast before we even started. Cause I have in the room, like probably some of the best killers, all pretty, I don't want to say unknown, but definitely not wanting to be known. <laughs> so this is the guys I like to learn from, I guess all three of you uh it's kind of the ones i pull the most from we've all done podcasts together i got ryan lampers sean mellon benga tormson uh yeah straight killers uh so i can't wait we're gonna do a little brain picking but more so just like open conversation the interesting thing about this podcast is all three of you guys i'm gonna say all four of us have different styles um different ways of doing it which is just kind of goes to prove it doesn't really matter how there's like no one particular way. So I think it'd just be an awesome conversation to basically a melding of minds, if you will, from guys that have different styles, different tactics. And yet all three of you tend to get it done, whether it's elk, mule deer, um, whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't know where we're going to go with this yet, but we're going to figure it out. Should be interesting. (laughs) Well, I, I just, I just met, Sean and just met Ben. So, uh, you know, all I've heard, I've heard him on podcasts, but that's about it. So, so did I'm you curious. listen to podcasts? You listen to Sean's podcast too? I No, I haven't listened to Sean's. Uh, I've heard you talk about Sean. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, very highly respects no, all this shit, guy. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> only, only when he's drunk. Yeah. And then I, I heard Ben talk on a podcast, and that's, uh, that's how I know Ben. So, yeah. Which is funny because um, Ryan's like the total fitness guy that can hike farther than anyone ever. <laughs> that I've I don't met. know, man. I'm looking at Sean here, and it's like I don't think anybody could beat this guy. <laughs> yeah. Guy's looking fit. Sean could pack <laughs> a house. He's like just yeah. packs a whole house out. <laughs> what, what's the inseam in your pants? <laughs> like forty, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if we've ever like put that on po- on the podcast. Sean, how tall are you? What do you weigh? Six, I'm six five, two fifty ish. Six five, two fifty. Yeah, yeah. A giant. You look like you could still be uh, in the game. In the NFL. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah, but can you hike very far? I mean, it's all relative. <laughs> are you one of those guys that can hike uh, 10 miles easy, or are you that guy that just throws 150 pounds on and just no. hikes it on out easy? It just depends on on what's at the end of that 10 miles, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we all know how that goes. Yeah. So how would... I already, I kind of know Ben's answer to this, but how much do you prioritize fitness and your success? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Come on. I'm here to round this group out, okay? Literally. <laughs> Is that a shot across the bow? Uh, how, yeah, fit, it's pretty like, so basically like when I got big in a, in a hunting was kind of my transition after football. So I pretty much just replaced my year-round preparation for the game of football to I just subbed in hunting and it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same routine. I mean, it's same time of year. Like I'm trying to peak by fall. Um, my winter, my summer routines, like it's really nothing's changed. So it, it's a pretty, pretty big priority. I mean, I, I'm preparing for hunting season. Like I'm getting ready for a, you know, you and I have talked about season. this a little bit because like we were, we were joking about like if someone, if someone, tra- I don't want to say trained, but like, took the preparation that you put into what you do and killing big bulls, you know, to kill an, uh, an elk, right. Seems that's crazy. It'd be so easy. Not to say that it is easy, but like the, the amount of preparation that you put into something like you're operating at the next level. And I think that's kind of what I see, um, between a lot of different people, whether it's Ryan, whether it's Ben, like you're, you're putting the amount of time, the preparation into something. And it doesn't really matter how you go about it. Your tactic could be completely different, right? Um, you know, whether it's just number of days in the field or whether it's hiking, you know, 20 miles in the back country or whatever it's going to be, it's the amount of preparation and training. But like you and I have talked about that's like how, when you got into hunting, you had this other thing, you know, football that you were obsessed with, you trained for at a very elite level and you basically just replaced that with hunting. Yeah, no, exactly. And like what we talked about is if like someone just maybe getting into hunting or somebody just trying to you know, harvest their first bull or animal or, or whatever it is. If you prepare for that event, like it mm-hmm. is, you know, the Olympics or a Super Bowl or, or whatever, you know, yeah. sub in whatever big time event you want. Yeah. If you prepare for it like that and, and kind of make it a year round. So it's just a, it's just your lifestyle is preparation for that, which I think we all probably do at some level. Then, yeah, I think just for somebody just getting into hunting or somebody just trying to harvest an animal, I think your odds of success would be really good if you prepared at that level. Yeah. That's an interesting, well, you know, I think we all use it as a lifestyle thing, but I'm curious like what that means to different people. Cause I see a lot of people like, yeah, it's a lifestyle. 
does that mean you have to be obsessed with it eight hours a day? No, probably not. Um, yeah, I'm not. I run businesses and do other things, but still, I'm you know shot this morning already. I'm always shooting or always doing something. Like, what is like making hunting a lifestyle mean to you? Well, for myself, I know I know where it puts me. Um, I know if I want to do it the way I want to do it, and that's big adventure hunts, backcountry hunts. Kind of have to be in shape, so that forces you to treat it as a lifestyle year round. You know, you don't ever let yourself get out of conditioning um, or being conditioned. So it's, it's everything from food to fitness to, uh, like you say, the shooting part of it, um, spending time in the mountains, all those little things add up. So I think once you're invested, uh, like Sean said, year round, winter, summer, spring, right. And going into the fall, you've put so much time and thought into something, um, that we love in, in hunting you don't, it's almost you're giving yourself less chance to fail. You're just not going to let yourself fail. You're not going to back out or, you know, you've put way too much time into it. So I think treating it as a lifestyle is, is a pretty good way to stay consistent and not let yourself to just, you know, break down your mind pulls you out of the back country. Like I know if I, if I treated it like, you know, going into uh, cramming for a test or something like that and spent mm. two weeks prior to a hunt, I'd probably back out a lot easier. I wouldn't stick it out, you know, 10 days. So, um, I know for myself, that's, that's kind of part of it. I like the lifestyle thing. It's just, it's clean eating. It's, it's, it's good food. It's, it's good, you know, fitness. Um, all those things are going to help you on a hunt. So why not treat it the rest of the year? The are you same judging way? me for drinking energy I am. drink right I now? I saw that. <laughs> you don't want to know what I have in my cup here. But, you got charcoal uh, again? You guys got exotic. What is that? This is healthy. Exactly. Yeah, I guarantee you whatever I'm drinking. It, it just spelled different. <laughs> and then bang. I see BCAA aminos in the bang. See, it's I good for it's you, it's just Ryan. sucralose in there. There's no sugar. It's not bad. <laughs> I didn't want to bring anything because I didn't want to be judged. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Sean and I actually have so healthier-ish energy drinks. Zero sugar, right? Yeah, it's just super close. I think those two are probably the healthiest of the energy drinks out there. So you guys are. I got zero <laughs> sugar, heat. zero carbs. I mean, there's actually nothing in here. It's no. water. Yeah. Flavored water. Yeah. Look, it has vitamins, Ryan. <laughs> Come on. It's got to <laughs> no, be. That bang, it's actually got like creatine and aminos and all mm-hmm. kinds of good stuff in there. Yeah, I think CoQ10, that. I've seen. So <clears throat> there you go. Thank you. Healthy. Um, bang the we'll expect a check in the mail <laughs> uh, i think new Ryan's podcast talking about sponsor right there yeah well he's drinking that one i don't even know what this one is zions yeah. did i say that <clears throat> yeah looks like it there's no z in they it they got though. like they got it anyway. easy spelled out for you oh yeah i can't Zions. Oh, can't read no that's right <laughs> <laughs> hey i made it third grade guys give me a break <laughs> Uh, Ben, what's your thought on kind of the lifestyle versus he, he was talking about that. It makes me think of like, you know, I know a lot of people that use hunting as a vacation and then they're not successful. So if you like, look at, to me, if you look at the world as like hunting is this vacation or this <clears throat> thing you do one week out of the year, you're, you're going to be in that 10% of people. Sure. More like, yeah. you're going to be in the 90, I should say. And it's just fine. A lot of people, that's what they want out of it. You know, yeah. they want to spend time with their buddies get away from the rat race, get away from work. That's their two weeks. That's great. Um, I think some people want a little bit more out of it, more of a challenge and uh, want some it's, success. It, you know, it's, I mean, having paid 
played professional sports yourself, I mean, there's there's definitely a competitiveness in it, probably too. You know, you're competing against the animal, and I think uh, for myself, I'm over here. I'm not in great shape. I eat terrible. Um, <laughs> I. I Hey, I'm right there with you. Well, I'm laughing yeah. with you, not at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of the same things. For me, it's it's time in the field. And um, it's not necessarily, you know, the goal isn't necessarily to fill the tag. But you, you put yourself in that situation. And I played competitive sports. I mean, I still play, you know, I mean, mm. softball league, if you call it. Like, you know, but, beer league, softball, if you call that competitive. Yeah. You know, you compared football in your you know previous stuff to what you do to prepare well i i do the same for elk hunting compared to beer league softball so um <laughs> not to make fun dude. of what you're doing but, but no so for me i mean absolutely um the first day in the field is never opening day for me um i mean and i've got a like this off-road camper trailer that i built um, I haul my whole family into areas. I do most of my hunting from, you know, motorized access trails. I'm not in as good a shape as either of all three of you probably in terms of hiking and stuff. So I'm, I'm not one to spend, you know, you know, put miles on getting way in to get away from people because I, I feel like there's a, a population of people that really put that experience on a pedestal and you have a large number of hunters that spend a lot of time getting way in and you're running into the same amount of people way in as you are <laughs> way out next to the so road. So what would you say your competitive edge is? Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's the amount of time spent prior to season scouting, um, learning, learning what's there. Um, if I know the the animals that are in a particular basin or in a particular drainage or whatnot, um, I know what's at the high end, what's at the low end, and I'm, I'm I don't call myself, I don't consider myself a trophy hunter, but I take pride in trying to take mature animals. And you know, I mean, you go back and forth, and you hear people, you know, throw the spiel out. I mean, I want to kill as big as animals as I can, just like anybody else, not to show off the animal but because of the challenge that's there. I mean, if I wanted to go fill my elk tag every year, I mean... It's a one-day trip. I, I could be done in the yeah. first weekend, typically. I mean, but, I mean, every year, um, I'm, I typically have a, a, you know, a target age class or a target range on, on what I'm looking for. And uh, I've had cameras up. I've spent time glassing. Um, I get to basically kind of perfect my elk camp during July and August with my family so I know what to bring. And when I, when I go in and hunt, I mean, it's, I think the, the mental part of it is as important as the physical part of it. Because if you get down on a situation or you can't turn something up, um, you know, that you want to put your tag on, you get down on yourself. I think if, if you kind of reevaluate what you're looking at, what you're looking to gain from that experience. Um, I go up, there's nothing better than throwing an elk on a hot skillet, you know, an elk mm -hmm. steak on a hot skillet at 8,000, 9,000 feet. And 
sitting next to a campfire, drinking a cocktail at night, you know, being able to go out and, you know, hike a half hour before light glass in the morning and then, you know, be back and you don't see what you're looking for. And that, I mean, that's the other thing is, is. So it's a little bit of a patience game. Yeah. It's, I would say patience is, is one of the, one of the biggest attributes to being successful, knowing when to go Mm. and being ready. I mean. I'm like a cheetah. I can go really <laughs> fast for a really short distance, but I don't look like it. <laughs> so well, it's interesting because like, I think Ryan could touch on this too, but you know, I think every one of you has really good mental toughness. Uh, I think a lot of people develop their mental toughness through physical activity. Like I think that's a, you know, if you played sports growing up, you develop your mental toughness via hard, strenuous physical activity or whatever, pushing yourself in a lot of physical things. You know, Ben Ben has that mental toughness, so I don't know that you you know always have to be in the best physical shape. You know, like they're not hand in hand. Physical physical ability and mental toughness aren't hand in hand. You can develop them in different ways, but I think it's you know one of the things that helps develop mental toughness is physical ability. Would you agree, Ryan? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you know I think there's guys probably like Ben that are out of the gates. You know, probably always been pretty mentally tough. You know, you got a drive that, that keeps you in the hills and it's keeps you he's pushing. A Is that it? That's, I don't have a soul, but I'm <laughs> mentally tough. That's, that's right. Ginger cheetah. Ginger uh, <laughs> cheetah. It's a deadly combo. <laughs> mentally tough cheetah. Yeah. I, I think, and then there's, I think there's the other side that there's people that, um, you know, probably could very easily go on a trip and, and get pushed out of the hills pretty fast. Um, maybe blow one stock or maybe have a couple days of quiet woods in the oak woods and, uh, just give up pretty easily. And I think, um, I think you can acquire it, um, through, like you said, fitness and challenges. And one of the things that, um, thinking back to like the early years, I don't think I was always very mentally tough when I was 20. Yeah. I had go, go power. Like I could go. Um, but it's like a few bad scenarios, bad weather. And thinking about like uh, the wife back home or things I should be doing and pretty easy to pull me right back out. But now um, I think through like summer challenges and just keeping the fitness high and, you know, these big challenges, like I'm trying to get you into these uh, like physical challenges that are just going to grind your mind down. Yeah. What's the one you want to do now? Oh, we're gonna Ben's do totally in on this, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you're in, Ben? Did you tell me about it? <laughs> no, he didn't. 24 but... hours of uh, M-Trail. No, tw- 24 hours of Baldy laps. Baldy laps. Seems like a great idea, right? It's eight mile lap, eight mile loop. Yeah, it sounds awful. <laughs> I'd make one and then I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> Pretty sure there's a milkshake calling my name down there somewhere. <laughs> ben and I will set up a beer camp at the base. Yeah, yeah there's Derek and delivery. Probably moral support, the right? I would even hike to the top and just cheer you guys on from the top. There you go. As long as he packed a case of beer or two. Yeah, it's perfect. a shotgun pack, a whole keg up there. Well, that's what I'm that's saying. Good. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I agree. You can develop mentally, mental toughness through a lot of different aspects. Uh, you know, there's, there's something, too, that I want to touch on in regard to mental toughness that a lot of people don't take into consideration. That You run into a lot of frustrations while hunting elk. Um, and I've found that you just, you just got to let let stuff that doesn't go your way. I mean, there's so many things out of your control, you know, be it other hunters, be it, um, you know, the, the amount of pressure in a given area on a particular day, 
I'll, I'll set an example here. Um, there was a bull I was, I was hunting. Um, I'd hunted him for two years. Um, and I killed him in 2016. It was, this was Idaho. Um, I targeted this bull the previous year and other bulls got in my way and I, you know, couldn't hold out. So I filled my tags. Um, the following year, opening weekend, you know, eight, nine inches of snow in camp. My fire teepee, you know, held up, but there's nothing like waking up, you know, in, <laughs> in the first week of September to that much snow and uh. like kind of in your head thinking, yeah, I'm going to hunt my, you know, my 170 weight Merino and, you know, maybe I'll wear a beanie in the morning because it'll be chilly and you wake up on it and stuff like that. And then I had a bunch of wolves come in. So I'd been watching this bull prior to season, kind of had him down. I knew where he was living. Um, he lived in a, basically a toilet bowl of swirling wind and <laughs> like no way to go in. You can't penetrate a certain elevation. Otherwise your scent just swirls and you run the risk of blowing them out. And when they blow out, it's like, he's going to go a mile one way or, you know, two draws this way or something like that. You know, those big bulls don't just go over the hill and think they're fine. They like disappear. So with the snow and then having wind and, you know, or not wind, but wolves move into the basins and lots of howling at night, stuff like that. The elk shut up. I went five or six days without sight of this bull. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, it is what it is. He's smart. He's gotten to where he is now. He's probably going to continue to grow. And I'm hunting in an area that has a lot of pressure too. This bull um, disappeared on me. I started pursuing other animals. Um, and, you know, I found a, a bull that was kind of in a routine. He had six or seven cows kind of doing the same thing. Nobody was messing with him. So I make a plan. I take my recurve. I go in. Uh, and this was the year that <clears throat> I was hunting uh, trying to kill as many animals as possible with a recurve just as a challenge. And I had targeted this, this very big bull and I took my compound when I had a line on him and lost sight of that. So I'm like, all right, back to the, the original plan. I'm going to challenge myself with, with this recurve. And I dropped in on this smaller bull and shortly after dropping down probably a thousand vertical feet in elevation to get around this smaller bull. The big bull, or what I thought was other hunters, which turned out was this bigger bull that I've been after, started bugling, and it was right down off the trail. So I'm like, it's got to be hunters. And I could have, you know, been frustrated, throw my arms up, said, you know what, screw it, this is stupid, you know. But I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to see what's going to happen. And I'm watching this smaller bull on the other hillside working back and forth, and he's starting to, like, interact more and more with this other bull that I can't see calling that I think is other hunters. And he's, I'm like, he's going to, he's going to go into the timber up there and he's going to come running out and he's going to have a big red spot right behind his shoulder. That's what I said to myself. And that's a point in time where if I would have just in my mind convinced myself that that was another hunter, I, I would have probably walked away from that situation or been like, you know, I'm not here to compete or try to call better than somebody else. You know, it's like waterfowl are setting up in the field next to somebody that's already mm -hmm. set up. It's the, it's, it's just kind of one of those things. And I hadn't, I mean, they had no clue I was there, these other hunters. So, um, if, if they were hunters and it turns out that, you know, I'm watching this other bull and he ends up kind of starting to, instead of pushing down where I'm going to meet him in the bottom, he starts pushing his cows level and then back up around the finger ridge that he's on. 
And I'm standing there and on this old growth North face and I hear elk hooves on the ground, you know, that hollow noise they make when they're moving kind of quick. And I'm like, oh, that's elk, you know, like knock an arrow. And I'm like, maybe they'll come by. And the cow came by, you know, 26, 28 yards, something like that. And then another, then another, then another. And then this, this, this bull sounded off again. And I'm like, it's, it's an elk. It's not a hunter. And this bull come up and he offered a shot. I was able to stop him in a lane at like 28 yards. And at the, the point in time, I was like, I'm going to shoot anything, you know, five point, whatever. And it turned out that it was this bull that I've been after for, this was the second season I pursued him. And had I been frustrated or not had that mental toughness that, you know, you got to see the big picture, you know, think of it, you know, anything can happen at any time, you know, hold, hold your plan, stick to it, you know, stay strong about what, what you have in your mind on what you think is going to work. And, and it turned, it worked out. So that was a really long story, but sorry. It's legit. It, yeah. I would be curious, like what your guys' thought is on, um, there's like an old story of, you know, guy from back east purchases this and this is like a minor story and what it boils down to is is the guy purchases this gold mine in colorado and he goes out and he digs and digs and digs and digs for six months and he says screw it i'm completely in debt i've lost everything i have nothing i'm moving back and find a new life so he sells the his gold claim and the next guy comes in and, and digs one day and strikes it rich and so you're always you're always that guy of do you keep digging you know do you stick after this thing or am I just being an idiot and wasting my time? And I think everyone goes through that in the woods where you're like, yeah, day seven, you're like, am I the tough guy that's grinding it out and it's going to be successful? Or am I the idiot that's in yeah. a bad area? You know? And like, so how do you guys, how do you guys deal with those like conflicting thoughts on a hunt? John? Well, I mean, I think what we're all talking about here, and I think it's not that often discussed is like, for me, and I, I'm not unique in this, I know we probably all have, I mean, it's when you're hunting or, or I mean, anytime in life, always, every day, there's constantly, you're, you've got self-talk going on, right? That, yeah. inner, that inner voice, right? And like, it's always going, you know, and when you're hunting, like we as hunters, we don't talk about this a whole lot. Like you're talking to yourself the whole time, especially solo hunting, like, which is pretty much, I mean, almost all I do. And so my inner voice is speaking to me the whole time. And there's the you know, there's the good one and there's the bad one. Right? It's always going back for like, Hey, you're an idiot. Turn around, yeah. uh, quit being a wuss. Keep going. Like, you know, it's constant, you know, take the stock. No, you idiot. Be patient. Like that is constant. So like we're talking about mental toughness. We're talking about kind of also controlling that, that self-talk or directing that self-talk towards the goal. Right. And, and I don't know, we don't talk about that that often as, as hunters. It's almost a, it's almost like a meditation, you know, when you're scouting or, or, or when you're, you know, sitting glassing or, or planning a stock or whatever. I mean, it's, you're, you're really, you know, going back and forth just in your own mind, you know, about, you know, what you're going to do. And it's constant when you go on a stock, you know, every single step of that stock, you're going back and forth in your mind. You know, do I, do I go here? Do I go there? What's the wind doing? What's, you know, like, am I keeping track of the animal? Like it's, it's constant. So I think a big part of it is just, kind of being able to direct your own self-talk and have control over that. And like, for me, like I've gotten to a point, you know, when we talk about mental toughness where like, I've just decided to like, he was talking about, you know, control what you can control and don't worry about the, like, like I don't worry about the weather. I don't worry about other hunters, all that stuff. I try to prepare for everything that I can, but I'm not going to, you know, worry about 
you know, stuff that I can't control. Just try to prepare the best you can. And, and then just basically I've gotten to the point where I just, I don't care what I'll just do whatever, you know, I've gotten myself into some pretty tricky situations by just flat, not giving a shit about like, okay, he's, this bowl's way, way over here. I've got to go way around, whatever, whatever I got to do to get to him. Like whatever, that's what I'm doing. You know? So I don't know if, if that's, it's hard to explain because it's hard to put into words like when when to push harder and when to back off, you know. And and I we struggle with this. There was I was on a big bowl this year texting Sean the whole time, texting him a picture of the thing, and I did one of those things where I think I beat a trail, you know, uh, fifteen yards off where I was sitting because it would be like it's go time, and then I'd make it you know twenty five yards, and the wind would swirl like yeah, it's not go time. <laughs> it's just like you know, like I need to make it happen, I need to make it happen. And you're like ah, be patient, be patient. And like you said, there's two guys on your shoulders, like make it happen, and then there's like be patient. Yeah. And, and when you have like, what we've all talked about is like our investment into what goes into this. Like when you're that invested, I mean, when it's, I mean, all you think about year round and you've put in so much time, you know, scouting and, or, or studying, I mean, whatever, whatever it is, you're, you're so invested. Like you pretty much bury that quit button. Like mm. it's just gone. Like that's not even an option Yeah, where I, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, they're going to tap out pretty, pretty quick. If, you know, if, if they blow a stock or, you know, whatever yeah. the, the case may be, or, or even like, man, so I think so, so many problems occur when like you have the ideal situation and you talk yourself into making a mistake, right? Cause it's just basically an impatience or, or a lack of confidence, or, I mean, how many times, how many situations that I've been in, um, now, like in the last couple of years, after I've learned a lot of hard <clears> lessons, <throat> Where in the past I would have maybe forced a stock or done something stupid and or, or left an animal. You know, you're talking about waiting two, three, four, five days mm-hmm. that you haven't seen them. And, you know, if you haven't put the time in or if you haven't kind of made those mistakes in the past, you, you might not have the confidence to stick to it. Whereas, you know, like if you have invested that time or, or you've kind of had those experiences in the past, you know, like mm-hmm. if your confidence is at a level where you're like, man... I've been watching this bull for three years. Like I know he's here somewhere and I haven't seen him for five, six days, 10 days, whatever it is, but he's going to be here. And then just having the, the confidence and the, and the, the positive self-talk to, you know, you're talking about the difference between being the idiot. That's just staying too long in a bad area. Or mm-hmm. are you actually being the, the smart guy sticking it out because you know what's going to happen. And, and we've all talked about the preparation that goes into the whole thing. And, and that kind of builds your confidence and builds your case to, to be that guy to stick it out and have the mental toughness to, to hang in there. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge, huge part of what we're, what we're talking about. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think like what Ben was talking about, you know, staying positive. It, I mean, it's the most cliche you could talk thing that you could talk about. Right. But in life and everything, it's uh, the most successful guys are the ones that stay positive throughout anything you know, multiple failures, you're going to have failures as a bow hunter or a hunter in general. But, you know, you have to constantly remind yourself, you know, to, to stay positive. Like I know people will write on their bows, like persistence is deadly or these little things, little (laughs) mantras that kind of keep them in the game. Um, And I think with experience and, you know, trials and failures, you figure out like, like, you know, Sean, you were saying, um, you know, you've had failures and, and you can draw on those past ones where maybe you did go three, four, five, six days and it was just nothing's happening, but you had confidence that the bull was there. And then all of a sudden it happens. You know, I think he's a no hunter. Anybody who's done it long enough, if you, you're going to have dry spells, 
And then you're going to have that time where it's like, holy smokes. It's like, boom, light switch just turned on and you just kill the bull. I don't know. It seems like most of the times, um, elk hunting, especially maybe not so much with muleys, but, uh, it happens when you <clears> least <throat> expected it to happen. Um, I mean, a lot of times, at least for me, it has. And I think that's where I try to convince or explain to younger hunters that just know that that is how it is. Um, yeah. Stay positive. And, uh, you know, more than likely, you're going to have times where you're ready to back out or hit the, hit the quit button. Um, but that's the last thing you want to do. You're going to kick yourself in the end and um, staying positive and know that, you know, there's a bunch of guys that are successful out there because they stuck it out. And, uh, like, here's a story, here's a story, here's a story where it came down to the end. I mean, I don't know how many times we've talked about on the podcast, you know, sticking it out. A lot of times it doesn't happen until day seven, eight, nine, and maybe some guys bowed out on day six, you know, kind of taking it back to like the the minor story. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think staying positive could be, um, you know, talked about enough. And it's just like when you have a, a really good hunting partner or a real crappy hunting partner. The crappy one is the one that's ready to go at any time mm-hmm. you hit a failure, weather comes in. Um, it's like, Hey, let's just get out of here. That's not the guy you want to be around. No, You want to be around that positive dude. Um, I've got a guy in, in Joe who doesn't matter what we're dealing with up there. If it's slow guy's always positive. He's always willing to go further. <clears throat> um, if we're pinned down in fog, that's fine. We'll deal with it. And that's kind of the guy you want. And those are the guys that are going to be successful and, and always tend to have more success in the long run. And we, we all have that positive and negative hunter in our own minds too. Oh, yeah. yeah, talking to sure. us the whole time. Yep. And we were talking about different styles. I thought it was interesting because you're a caller, right, Ben? No, not, not, uh, I don't rely on it as, as heavily as. He's a cheetah. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were a caller. I, I, I thought it was interesting that you said. Um, I, I do call. But so it's not my primary. You have a little interaction. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So he's having a little, talking about different styles. He's having a little bit of interaction probably prior to the kill with this, with the bull. And I thought it was interesting that you said, um, about being competitive, um, kind of being competitive with the animal. Whereas like my, my mindset's always been, um, I'm being competitive against my, just myself, like competing against myself, my own kind of mental um, talk and because the animal really, I really don't have anything to do with the animal. If, if I'm with my style, if I'm, if I'm effective, um, that animal has no idea I exist until my arrow goes through his rib cage. Right. So, so it's totally not interactive. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of sitting back having these arguments with myself all the time. Yeah. And whereas sometimes <clears throat> you guys who call, um, you're engaging with the animal a little more. So the styles are a little bit different but the it's still so there's almost a little tweak with the competitiveness and and how that works that's interesting i think and i I guess i should correct myself i wouldn't i wouldn't say i'm not a caller because i do call i mean i've called bulls in for for friends and stuff like that it's not my preferred way to hunt um and and it's it's like you say i mean i i have a couple bulls that i've called in um and shot really close range i called a good a good like 330 bull in for my buddy last year to like 18 yards he killed it but what I don't like about calling is it gives you one opportunity, that animal. When, when you're, you're trying to be stealthy and trying to, you know, um, just get into that elk's world, you know, that, that bull comes by, 
and he doesn't offer the shot that first time, that's the, the quality shot that you're looking for. All righty, real quick interruption, and then we'll get back to the show, I promise. But if you could do me a huge favor and just go leave a review, it would be so amazing. Uh, this is a new podcast feed, so it has like no reviews whatsoever. So if you could do me a favor, whatever you listen on, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, go leave this podcast a quick review. Thank you guys so much. Had you called that bull in to that distance, he's gone. He's Chances are you're not going to have that bull come back in that close because he's going to come in looking. Yeah, you're. Now, we, should, we should put these two guys in uh, some Roosevelt country and see how they do. Yeah, right. What are my final in a trench? Roosevelt, Rooze, Roosie, Roosevelt, 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 <laughs> <laughs> or the Northwoods, Idaho. I guess. Yeah, Northwoods, Idaho. No, and I and I mean, I've gradually transitioned to more and more open areas because of my hunting style. Yeah, and. And I've gradually transitioned away from calling as I hunt more open yeah. country. Yeah. Every, every yeah. place is different. Yep. I mean, gosh, rosy country, you're forced to call. Um, yep. You know, um, as I get over here more, last couple seasons, um, hitting, it also depends on what time of year you're hunting. You know, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to call. First week in October over here, oh, totally. archery season, it's like, that's not what you want to be doing. You want to be trying to, you know, a lot more spot and stock and getting in, even though there's a lot of eyeballs. Um, I think topography and time of year <clears throat> makes all the difference and your tactics have to change with that. So. Well, I think it's about finding what works for you. Like, I think we all have different styles. It's about finding what works for you, what you can do well, and then matching the terrain to that. Mm -hmm. You know, like Sean's first biggest, he is stealthy as shit for some reason. So he hunts open type stuff, you know, and so it works for him and that's what he wants to do. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a great caller, you should probably in the thick stuff. Um, and it just kind of depends like, right. Cause if you could go, there's plenty of places in Montana, I believe that have really good bulls that not very many people are successful in because there, there's not a whole lot of great thick country hunters mm -hmm. in, in Montana. Could be <clears> wrong, but the downside of that is like, you're playing guess and check. Yeah. yeah, I mean, coming from a calling experience, you know those situations that you guys put yourself in where, you know, if I rip bugle at the right time, that bull's going to come over. You yeah. know, I mean, last fall, I guess I'm going to be the storyteller. I'm going to tell another story. You're a good storyteller, so, though. Yeah. So last fall. It's the, it's the cheat in you. <laughs> last fall, I was, um, I'd filled my tag and, and a friend of mine, Sam, came up and he was hunting with me. Um, and... You know, we, we, we got on a vantage, we glassed in the morning and we found a group of bulls, big group of bulls, you know, kind of swarming around this herd of cows. And there was one, one big bull in the group and they were transitioning down and knowing the country and knowing the moving movement patterns of these elk. Um, I knew where they were going. So we packed up off the, the vantage and worked down onto the North face that I felt like those animals were going to go to. And we got down to the bottom. Again, they were coming down off of South Face, transitioning through a little creek up onto a North Face. And we got in on them, and there were probably six or seven bulls and probably 20 cows. And it was just, you know, one of those mornings you, you hear like 200 bugles, you know, <laughs> in, in like an hour or two. And we're on the North Face. We can see over to the South Face, and it's fairly open and broken. And you, you get these glimpses of bulls just running through these openings and stuff like that. And this was a it kind of put us in a scenario where I'm like, we hadn't called all morning. I'm like, we're going to get down. We're going to get where they're going. If they come through without any calling, 
Great. Sam was like, first legal bull, I'm going to shoot. Doesn't matter which one it is. Well, they transitioned down into the bottom, never made it the 100 yards into the bedding area where we were. So this is from first light to about nine, probably a little after nine o'clock in the morning. We're within 100 yards. This bull is just screaming, pushing other bulls off left and right. And then it kind of quiets down. And knowing elk behavior, what had happened was the cows kind of moved down to the bottom, nice and cool in the shade, running water. They'd all bedded. And this is a scenario where in, in, my, in my head, in my experience, I'm like, all right, when these cows bed down, if I call at this, this bull that's kind of running these cows, the cows aren't going to get up out of their bed that they're comfortable in. I'm going to force that bull to get up and come to me. And hadn't made a call all morning. Basically, we were just shadowing the herd, using their locate bugles, their fighting bugles as a, you know, to put us in position. And then everything settled down for the morning. Everything was quiet. Checked with Sam. I'm like, all right, we can do one of two things. We can either just hike out of here, go back to camp, get breakfast, come back in. They're still going to be here because they're not going to talk anymore today. Or, you know, we're here. We can, we can try to rile this bull up and get him to come in. And uh, it's, it's definitely for film and stuff like that because he had a guy that was there videotaping him. For film, I mean, that's the perfect scenario. You get a bull coming through to you. You can position the, you know, the, the yeah. videographer in you a position where he can, yeah. So I, I backed up and I get down there about 40 yards, far enough to where you got to kind of move around to see where I am, you know, using that, you know, and it, at that point it was 40 yards. It could have been 100 yards, yeah. but using that, the visual aspect of he things. He to try to find you. Yep. And I, I bugled and the bull bugled within two or three seconds of me. And you could tell it was kind of like a, it wasn't a full like standing bugle. He was like, okay, the bull had bedded. He got up and within 30 seconds, that bull had come up, closed the hundred yards. You know, Sam had an opening. The bull was walking through the opening when he shot at like 18 yards. And that's, I mean, that's, I use that, that calling technique in very specific situations, but I wouldn't call it a last resort, but it's not my, my first offensive. I yeah, mean, timing and understanding the absolutely. situation. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. Use, I'll use bugling and cow calling to locate. You know, if I know a bull is down, I want to see how interactive he's willing to be and well out of scent range and well out of visual range. You know, I might give him a little locate bugle or a cow call. If I get that immediate response, then the knowledge of the terrain for me and, you know, having spent time in the particular country that I'm hunting um, comes down to, okay, I'm trying to pinpoint where that animal is. You know, it's like learning where trails are mm-hmm. using your, you know, your mapping on your phone and stuff yeah. like that. Trying to pinpoint if you're ever in that situation again. And I think knowledge of the terrain that the animals are in and their habits is, is one of the top things that you can do in, in mountain country. You know, open country, it's, it's a different story. I feel like open country, I mean, it's, you know, and you hunt a lot of open country, Sean. I mean, you know, I mean. He beagles all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, how often, how often do you actually see elk use the exact same trail? You know, it's, it's, it's not as confined to specific game trails and stuff like that. I mean. Right. So. They're pretty nomadic in, yeah. in open country and mm-hmm. the whole strategy is just different. Right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. You're sitting back and you're, you're watching them and you're trending them and you know, you know, their behaviors and their habits back and forth. It's, it can change and vary from day to day, but the, the cool thing is, is you can see it. Right. And then, um, you're really not engaging with them at all. And you're kind of, you're controlling the whole, like 
it's so different than what you just talked about. Like <laughs> where you're, you're engaging that animal and you're trying to get him to come see you in a certain way. And like, I'm just thinking about that. Like that would stress me <laughs> so far out. Like, cause I'm, when I'm whittling my way in on a stock, like I control everything. Yep. Like they're bedded. My wind's perfect. Like if I get into a, a bad situation or, or if I think it's looking like it could go bad, I, I always have the opportunity to back out. And nothing's going to change. You know, and it's, and, and nothing changes. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. I have complete control, I feel like, you know, whereas, <laughs> oh man, it'd be, I don't know, just be weird to. Well, it's, yeah, it's, those, those, those open flat thermals, man, they'll get you every time, right? <laughs> yeah. Sean's real worried about the, the thermals. It's yeah. like flat as can be. Uh, well, you talk about that scenario. So like when I started hunting Montana, there's a spot we were hunting burns and you're watching these things. When I learned to hunt, what I call open country, it was burns. So it's not technically open country. But you're just watching these elk. You're waiting for the right opportunity. It's open stuff. And they're, they're, you know, growing up in Oregon, if you, I started looking at Montana, like you would look at a clear cut, you know, and an elk would use a clear cut in the mornings and evenings, but then he's moving back into the timber. And I, for whatever reason, assumed that Montana elk were the same way with burns and that they were doing that. But then I learned like, oh, these elk just live in the burns. And I think it's the wolf country. They tend to stay in the burns where they can see. Um, and so we're hunting these elk in the burns and you got to wait for the situation to be right. And of course we make a stock and they blow out or whatever and they go in the timber. And most people would probably just be like, oh, that's, let's just wait until they start using the burn again. You know, or I'm like, perfect. Now we're in, in my realm. Like I'm, I'm completely fine with this. So I wanted to get to a point where I could hunt the open country, but also when they use the burn or when they go in the timber, I'm completely fine with that. I have completely comfortable going into the timber and playing that game the downside you know like that particular bull moves into the timber they're same thing bulls are screaming i move up in there and actually i didn't even say a word because uh, i didn't need to if i don't need to i won't but it moved in and then I, once i got where i knew he was right here within bow range i mean within 100 yards like he's got to be right here somewhere rip off a bugle and he goes silent uh which kind of sucked but I knew he was looking for me, you know, so he's going to make a mistake before I did. And I actually, the downside to that is that if you, you know, when you go into that situation, this is where I kind of screwed up, but at the same time, you know, six to one, half dozen the other, you go in there, you try to call this bull in. If it doesn't work, like you said, it's game over. You know, you don't know where he's going to go. It's not like he's going to go back to the burn that you just bumped him out of the day before. Um, so I went in there and I, the mistake I made was like, I saw a cow, the cow, the cow was, Look, I thought it was the bull, um, just by coloring. Uh, and so thinking I, all I had to do is take three steps to the right and it was a done deal. It was like 42 yards, you know, I come to full draw and start to creep out, realize it's a cow. And I look over and he's got me penned. Like he's, he saw me making that last move and I was like, damn it. <laughs> you know? So like, <laughs> but then it's game over. Cause I got to go find him again. Yep. Um, whereas if you're, you know, just open country, most of those times that elk doesn't even know you exist unless it's dead or not dead. If you're doing it right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've blown oh, plenty yeah, of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it could go wrong yeah. either yeah. way. You know, like you're yeah. not learning if you're make, not making mistakes though. That's the thing is, nah. is, I mean, and that's, I think, I think collectively the four of us have a ton of elk hunting experience. Which equals a lot of mistakes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guarantee you a lot of us have made the same mistake sometimes more than once, but when yeah. you start making that, mistake over and over again you got to think your way back through it and like what the heck did i do wrong i'm like well trusted the wind you know <laughs> you're in the mountains <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> stuff like that so it's 
it's, you know, I mean, and you hear it in all kinds of different aspects of life, but you're not learning if you're not making yeah. mistakes. And I think that's something that, you know, you, every experience you need to take something away from. And, um, I think one of the biggest things with me with elk, because I'm pretty much, I'll hunt anything that's in season. Um, especially something that, that I enjoy eating, you know, elk being one of the top, but (laughs) antelope is my favorite and archery antelope in Montana gives you a couple weeks before elk. And I've, I've struggled with, do I scout? Do I hunt antelope? Do I scout? Do I hunt antelope? Kind of a thing. And I can honestly say that trying to spot and stock antelope with archery equipment, um, makes stocking elk look like a joke. <laughs> I mean, um, you want to be humbled. You want to be frustrated. You want to talk about mental toughness and trying to stay positive. <laughs> Antelope is one of those animals. I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to hunt Montana. You can, as a resident, you can, you can hunt them every single year, go out and in, in terrain that you don't know, try to, try to stock an antelope with archery equipment and get inside that range and they don't miss much. I mean, it's a blast. Yeah. You talk about beer league preparation. Um, antelope for is hunting. beer league. <laughs> yeah, dude. You can, you can literally, like, you can drive around in a pickup with beer and yeah. drink. Every bone stock, you have to, you have shotgun a beer. Yep. That's, that should be implemented across <laughs> I think every states. time you pass an antelope, you should have a shotgun a beer. Pass an antelope, that's not. You that's did. That's something you do. Did this, I? Yeah, this year. You're like, oh, it's not big enough. You were waiting to shoot one with your kid, though. Oh, yeah. So you're like, well, I mean, they got to be big. That's general. <laughs> See? <laughs> I think you should have to shotgun a beer if you pass. Because then by the time. You know how hammered I'd be by the time I saw a trophy antelope in Montana? <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> uh, I'll try anything twice. I always say that. If, uh, if there's one piece of advice you could give yourself going back, maybe Sean, when you started, because you kind of came into it. I mean, elk hunting, you hunted your whole life, but coming into elk hunting, what piece of advice would you give yourself that first year you started? Oh boy. I don't know so much, but, um, I think I, I, I actually started with a, a, a really good plan. Um, I just had no idea. Like, like the theory was all <laughs> right. I think there's a lot of hunters that have like the theory correct, but then when it comes to the application of that theory, like yeah. it's just a total joke. Right. So I don't know, like, um, the area I was hunting, you know, in theory could have, could have had a big bull and, um, you know, my, my methods were in theory, you know, could have, could have been successful, but like none of it ever, you know, none of it turned out, but I don't know. I made so many mistakes that first year as far as going back and giving advice. I I don't know that I wouldn't even really want to do that. I love just, it it was perfect that that year I just beat my head against the wall for the whole (laughs) season. Right. Just. It's like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the nose. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I was so motivated, like, by the end of that. And I had some good opportunities. I mean, I just had a general tag my first ever year in Montana. I missed two, three, two 350 bulls. General. <laughs> like, just my first time ever elk hunting. Just moved to Montana that summer. But, like, so I, I you know, like I say, the theory was, I think, was pretty good. I, I kind of stumbled my, my way into some stuff. And literally just failed every single day, you know? So when I got done with that season, I was like, oh, it is on now, yeah. you know? So, <clears throat> I don't know. Well, I think, like, failures create drive, you know? So, oh, like, for failing sure. and losing creates that want to win. 
creates that like preparation, that year long preparation. No one ever like shot a bull their first day hunting and then the next year trained the entire year. <laughs> it's just not how it works. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Ryan, what, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, give myself. How about I give to guys just getting into it? Cause I was very, very fortunate when I first got into it. Um, I had a really, really good mentor. This crusty old codger out of North Idaho. And he kind of walked me through all those mistakes. So, um, you know, I spent three weeks with this guy. The first year I started elk hunting with a bow archery. Um, prior to that, it was all like muzzleloader hunting late season, Idaho and stuff. But, um, this guy, he'd take me out every day and he, he'd just basically give, kind of give me some basics. We'd watch videos of how elk behavior was, you know, their whole process of how they get to where they come together. And, um, you know, he talked and told me about all these things, but then once we were actually out there on the mountain, he just let me go do my thing. So how would you approach this bull? You know, you hear a bull bugling down at the bottom. How are you going to tackle it? I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to watch what you do. So I'd go do my thing and mess it all up, come back up, walk a shame, say, <laughs> Dallas, what did I do wrong? And he'd tell me and he'd say, well, you were bugling every 50 yards when you, you know, you're <laughs> going down in there. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to go the other way. So, um, you know, I think for me, having a mentor, somebody who's just done it and made some mistakes in the past is huge. And I don't think you can get, um, you know, any better advice than that for a young guy just getting into it. If you have opportunity to find someone who's willing to donate time or, um, you know, education on it, find that guy. I know a lot of us are a little stingy with our time, but <laughs> I, I know uh, I definitely want to kind of give back a little bit to folks that are just getting into it because, yeah, those first couple of years, I mean, Geez, you, you might get into it with all the best intentions. You see, you know, Instagram these days, everybody's killing big bulls. You think it's easy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that think it's pretty easy. I mean, if these guys are doing it, why can't I do it? But it takes years to really get all those little experiences and things figured out. So, um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, try to round yourself up some crusty old dude that's, that looks like Ben here that's been <laughs> in the woods forever and knows a thing or two about elk hunting. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thought on, uh, I've kind of, this is, the idea has crossed my mind a few times that if you were, if I was just starting out, I would leave the bow at home and go to like a premium unit and just chase elk that I'm going to get into elk every single day and just learn. Is that a bad idea? It's bad for the dude that drew that premium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I waited 20 years for that take. So you come across me learning how to elk hunt. Yes. Around <laughs> Did three you people. see that bull? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was trying to hunt him. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, slashed, a, Cody. that's that's a great, I mean, a great way to look at it. But the thing is, is you're not going to experience yeah. in a premium game unit that has limited draw. You're not going to experience the same thing you're going to experience out, out in the, I mean, the the best thing to do. You'd be like, yeah, let's go to Yellowstone and learn go, elk behavior. Go to yeah. the shittiest unit <laughs> yeah. and then give yourself a dose of reality. Yeah, go yeah, spend sure. 10 days in the worst unit and be like, hey, man, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think Ryan's, Ryan's, I mean, that's a perfect example. Um, well, I think when you're young, you know, you're, you're more impressionable on tactics and styles of hunting and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, anytime you're around somebody that's more experienced, I mean, don't be afraid to ask questions. And if, if somebody's not 
answering your questions if they're kind of like brushing it off or something like that. Find somebody that will. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I love talking about elk hunting. I mean, that's why I'm sitting here. I mean, it's not because I like looking at you. So, <laughs> Thanks, um, buddy. <laughs> it's it's just it, it, they're they're incredible animals. They're they're challenging. They're fun. They live in a variety of different situations. Everything from, I mean, the fern and moss covered crap out you know on the west coast all the way to the plains and the you can't see a tree out in the east like where where sean's hunting it's it's uh and i i think they're they're i mean there isn't a a more fun pursuit opportunity for a bow hunter they're like built for bow hunting i feel like and not that gun hunting them is bad or anything like that it's just an animal that's vocal big and visible, you know, depending on the terrain, yeah. during the time of year when you can swim with a bow. I mean, mule deer, they just go lay out in the middle of nowhere alone. <laughs> oh, geez. We're going to get into a mule deer <laughs> versus elk talk. So, um, no, mule deer are awesome too, but there's just something about elk. There's, there's something magical about elk, and I think anybody that's pursued them once just scratched the surface on what they want to do again. I, mean, I don't see how Ryan can be a mule deer guy when he's been very successful at elk. Like usually a mule deer guy that's a diehard, like, yeah, mule deer are the greatest, don't have any success with elk. Yeah. Uh, what is it about mule deer that makes you I don't know, man. Mistake? I just got this, it's like my first, first big critter was a mule deer. My first deer was a mule deer and. I don't know. I like where they are. I can I like see their... the argument for guys that are like where they are, the yeah, country type I, I thing. I like that country. I like, you know, growing up where I did in Washington, it was like Tamarack country, you know, up in the just most picturesque places, Alpine basins. Um, they're just loners, man. They're just, uh, and that's not everywhere. Obviously, not so much here where we're at in Montana, but that's just always been like the picture of the animal I want to go for is that old crusty loner on the top of some Alpine basin. And, um, that's just their world and, and they live it. And so they yeah, early season mule deer, love it. Late season mule deer, rutting old bucks. But you know, Ben makes a great point. I mean, elk are built for bow hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll do, um, archery or rifle for mule deer. Um, but, um, I love bow hunting for elk. It's mm-hmm. just, and they're vocal like that and screaming, getting in fights with them or just even stalking them in the plains. It's just a whole lot of fun. So. Yeah. I don't know. It's like whatever season's open. Cause for me yeah. in the last few years, I've fallen in love with finding old bulls that are just holed up in some nasty hell hole and you know, rifle hunting. That's to me what rifle hunting elk has kind of become is like trying to find that loner that just in a hell hole, you know, back in the rock somewhere like to me that's kind of cool i you know obviously the story would first. be getting him out more than anything kind of one of those bulls know, horses doesn't matter <laughs> figure, <laughs> it <out. laughs> figure it out that's never yeah, crossed right. my mind of like how am i going to get it out of here no actually i will say one time my buddy we were dropping into uh anybody who knows this spot it's 32 point it is i think it's deeper than the grand canyon but not bigger <laughs> so we're going down this it is it is nasty on <clears throat> hell's canyon and we're have a spike tag. I'm like, Jake, I think we need to rethink this situation. That, that's where we draw the line between stupid and, uh, and he's over hard. just like going down. I'm like, there's a spike. I think we could do a little bit easier than this. Like we're just going into no man's land. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the argument, right? Is you know going back to why we try to train or be as fit as we can or look like a guy like Sean does. It's like you want to have that mindset where you don't really yeah. want to think about well, where's the out, where's the out. You know, yeah. is there a road at the bottom or whatever? It's just you just do it. That's and the only reason I'm gonna, friends with Sean. Actually, that's going to put you in places. <laughs> Who needs horses when you have him? Yeah, right? well, I'm glad I met him. Yeah. <laughs> I need your number. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Well, appreciate it. We're going to do this uh, again. Um, if you guys, anybody's got questions like we can cover as a group, I want to do more of these kind of group podcasts. Um, you know, all of us are in town, so it's a little bit easier. Uh, I think it'd be fun to kind of answer some questions. Uh, so, yeah, if anybody's got questions, uh, shoot us emails, whatever. We're going to try to do this next time. We might do it later in the evening. That's my request. That's your request? Yep. Make some Coors Lights. Mm-hmm. Talk about hunting. I'm game. Yeah. Whiskey. The cheetah. The cheetah. <laughs> cheetah. <laughs> I never thought that would have came out of me. <laughs> That's going to stick, man. Oh, great. All right, you guys.